Her adopted father waited for her among the horses, and when she failed to crest the hill, he climbed down and found her lying among the rocks. Her hand and arm were swollen to almost twice their normal size. Her eyes were glazed over, and her face was numb, so when she spoke, it made little sense. He took off the moccasins and hid them and the dried meat in his shirt. He lifted her and carried her down the path, along the creek, through the crowds, and to the only one who could help her now. The old man sent children to pick plantain herb and dressed her wound with a mash of it and his own spit. He cleared a corner of his teepee and laid her face down on a bed of hides and burned cedar, sage, and lavender, where she stayed at all times. He had his assistants remove her sleeve and get his ink. He explained to the chief that while she lay inward, he would paint her, starting where the snake had bitten. Each prick of his needle would tell her body to fight back against the venom. And when she woke, she would be marked in life as the girl who had the snake's venom in her. If she died, she would go into the next world marked the same. Caroline laid here for two days, and when her swelling was down and her face was numb, the medicine man spoke to her and told her many things she did not understand. He talked to her about the rattle which had imprinted on her left hand and the diamond-shaped head and fangs on her right. He traced his fingers up her arm and the rattle and across the serpentine body which she now carried across her shoulders and down to the head. He pointed at the head and then at her. Although they never spoke of it, Caroline suspected the chief had kept her escape to himself. He knew she might try again nonetheless. He gave her moccasins, and when she wasn't doing her required chores, he let her wander, down to the creek, up the sides of the canyon, anywhere she wanted except across the creek to the warrior village where the boys trained. He pointed at himself and held up two fingers, and then pointed in the direction of the boys to tell her that there was another chief, a warrior chief who was his equal, and whom he did not control, and from whom he could not protect her. She must never go there. He shook his head. And so, she didn't go. But she watched the boys training from the hillside. And she went even closer than the hillside, when she was sure they could not see her. But that was her desire, which came closer, and its end, every day, she returned to spy on them. Word of the white girl spread among the boys, and they would not pretend to see her and plan to sneak up on her. But none had the courage, because they had heard about the snake and the markings the medicine man had given her. Through his warriors, the warrior chief heard of the boy's chatter and sent one of the men who had carried Caroline across the grass sea to get her. The man observed where she sat from afar, and the next he waited for her to return. When she did, he gave short chase and then lashed her arms around his waist, mounted his horse and rode down the canyon wall, across the creek and to the war chief's tent, making sure he could easily be seen from both of the villages. Word reached the tall wife and then Caroline's adopted father, 
Caroline was forced to kneel before the ward chief, who was furious about her transgression. Unlike her father, he spoke in brutal and angry words, thrust into Caroline's face, and she understood that he was insulted that she spied on his warriors. That her place was with the women, and when he picked up her blonde hair and let it fall to her shoulders, that she was likely a curse on them all. He pointed to the head of the snake on her left hand, and the rattle on her right, and shook his head, not wanting to touch them. She could tell that he would prefer to kill her, and was confident in his right to do so. But that superstition made him imagine a reprisal he could not control. Her snake blood would not be on his path, the war chief thought. She would solve this for him. If you want to be a boy, he told her in angry, slow words, then act like one. The peace chief stood on his bank of the creek. The warriors on the other side were not necessary. He would not break the law and cross into the war chief's camp without an invitation. He could hear the boys hooting and hollering, and only when there was stunned silence did he know it was over. Caroline had been dragged from the war chief's tent and thrown to the ground of the horse track. The warriors ordered all the boys to surround her, and they taunted the boys asking which one of them was man enough to fight a girl. The boys begged, and with competing voices, each made his case why he should be the one, and each told how he would do it. The warriors laughed at their bravado, and then made bets among themselves, and for their own pleasure, picked the proudest of the boys. The proud boy stepped into the circle and immediately, and disrespectfully turned his back to Caroline. He raised his arms and told the boys and warriors what they were about to see. She could not understand a word, but she knew his message. And she would not wait to give him a chance. He was larger and stronger than she might ever be, so she needed to hit first, faster, and more vicious than anyone expected. She sprinted toward him, and he saw the eyes of the boys in front of him widen, but he did not and could not calculate what would happen next. He only felt sharp pain as she launched herself into his back, planting her knees into his kidneys, and then the invasion of her hooking two fingers in each of his eyes, pushing off her knees and landing her feet onto the back of his broad shoulders. She pushed her legs almost straight, and the proud boy fell backward on top of Caroline, knocking the wind out of her. Despite the pain in her chest and her gasping for breath, she knew to get out from under him and to her feet so his hands could not find her throat. His eyes were bloody and on their way to swelling shut. He could not see, so he swung for her, and she moved ahead of him and then behind him, kicking his knees until he fell onto them, and then landing her foot in his back and to his head, sending him into the dirt again and again. The other boys and many warriors were at first stunned silent, but that gave way to laughter, and among the ones who had taken the long shot on Caroline, loud cheering. When he saw there was a little chance of the boy recovering, the war chief refused to let the boy be bested and advanced on Caroline. She swung and kicked at him, but he paced evenly 
and, when he reached her, easily knocked her to the ground. He grabbed a handful of her hair and dragged her by it to the creek. Across the creek stood the peace chief, and the war chief yelled many things at him as he held Caroline by her hair. He yelled that he would kill her himself or let his lowest warrior do it, but that she was worthy of neither. He yelled that the boy would fully recover in a day and that he would forget about this joke the little witch had played on him, and that if she came across the river again, it would not be seen as a joke. He dragged her to the middle of the creek and left her there, exhausted and in the care of her father. He knew that as Caroline grew into whomever she was going to be, it needed to be away from the warriors. He had been a warrior when he was young and had become the peace chief when he tired of killing men and wanted to lead them in their everyday walk through this world. When he stopped killing men, he began hunting, as he had as a boy, and the practice brought him back into balance. The blood was the same, but in his role as a hunter, he only took what his family needed and found no pleasure in the killing itself. It was the hunt, the walking into the plains or oak savanna as a man and becoming once again an animal. He began taking Caroline on walks and showed her every bird and plant and rock and said its word so she would know both what it was and how they called it in their brief time alongside it. In the long canyon, he showed her every footprint, from the clever raccoon to the possum, the skunk and porcupine, which should be avoided, the fox to shadow, the small canyon deer and the rabbit, which should be waited for. When she became alarmed at the serpentine tracks in the dirt, he laughed and followed them to Grasshopper that walked more than it jumped. In the canyon, he taught her to loop snares on the rabbit trails and to hunt deer from above where the trail ran next to a canyon wall. The snares were meticulous work, but the throwing of a spear from a narrow ledge was thrilling to her and as such always provided something. He taught her to climb the sheer walls with the spear lashed across her back, to balance on a ledge 20 feet high and only inches deep. Her feet cramped, but she told them to shut up. The peace chief told her to use her time on the ledge to follow the contours of the canyon below her and the trees that led to water. In the patterns, she identified water that had once been there and water that hid below the ground. And once she saw these signs, she couldn't understand how she hadn't before. And when a twig broke and she suspected it wasn't the snipe or woodcock forging among dry leaves, he had told her to listen for the second snap or any similar sound from the same spot. The forest makes many sounds once, but legs make them in a cadence. When you hear the same a second time, he told her, ready your spear for the next 30 beats of your heart. She did, and when she struck the deer in its side at a steep angle, the shaft pierced only one lung. As it ran away, she became angrier with herself than the warrior chief had been with her. This was natural with such a steep throw, he told her, and assured her that they would find the deer in time. He pressed his fingers into the blood-stained dirt 
and showed her the foamy bubbles and bright red color that indicated a lung was compromised. They would walk slowly and silently, he told her. They would follow the drops that lay every five paces, drops so small she might have missed them. But he missed none. The deer would run downhill, he said, and the spots of blood did so, probably toward the water, he said. So when they were inside of a tributary of the creek, they stopped and looked. In silence, he pointed toward each bush by the creek and then shook his head. He did this one by one until he stopped just before the last and smiled at her. He directed her to a spot twenty yards south of the bush, while he went the same distance to the north, knowing that she would spook the doe first, and he would be waiting, ready to lance her in the other lung. After this was mastered, he took her out of the long canyon and up to the sea of grass, where he taught her to find trails among the switchgrass and blue stem, which belonged to much larger animals, hordes of pigs, axes, the uncommon lion or bear, and a few times in a lifetime, a herd of bison. He showed her the bent grass and the depth of the hoof prints, and pointed to the few physical waypoints which few men could discern. The windy, flat plains provided scant places to hide your form or scent, so the peace chief taught Caroline to approach from downwind and beside a grazing horse. The throwing spear of the canyon was worthless on the plains, so she learned the bow and then the lance, went on a horse. With the bow, she could send her first arrow beneath the belly of the grazing quarter horse, behind which she hid, then jump on its back, and holding their fletching between her fingers, loose four more arrows while riding her quarry down. When the warriors left for a season of raiding, he let her hunt the high plains on her own and did not worry if she did not return for days. He would track her down, not to save her, but to watch her, like the spectator of beautiful sport. He admired the sight of her riding down a wounded hog, sending one, two, three, then four arrows from her bow, circling wide and never approaching the beast until it collapsed. Appearing pinned to the blood-stained and waving grass. They both knew it had not expired, so when it made its last lunge to knock her from her horse, she was ready and ran her lance ahead of its shoulder and through its heart. He smiled and knew she was integrated with the world around her and had surpassed him in the way of hunting beasts. listening to New West Hill Country. You can find more episodes, audiobooks, art, and social channels at newwestseries.com. If you've enjoyed what you heard, please leave a review and share this. New West Hill Country is independent, original storytelling, and we appreciate your supporting us by spreading the word.